Now, from what Paul, from what scholars tell us about this letter, it is Paul's last letter. He is in his second imprisonment, but this one is far more serious than his previous imprisonment. He is so deep in a Roman prison, it says in 2 Timothy 1, that it took Onesiphorus days to find him. He looked earnestly for him to find Paul because Paul was so far down in a Roman prison chained to Roman guards. And Paul is aware that his days are few. This is his last letter. Death is imminent as he states in chapter 4 verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. This is an emotional letter. This is the confession of a dying man. These are his last words. And he's writing to the one person he holds most dear in life, Timothy. In chapter 2, he begins, You then, my child. He sees Timothy as a, as a son in the faith. And Paul writes to him with great emotion and great urgency, Timothy, I am leaving soon. My life is almost over. And I I can understand to some degree the emotion Paul must have felt as as he penned these final words to his son in the faith. As you all know, throughout the the last 15 years, I have traveled extensively to Asia, specifically to India and Burma and Korea. And a number of the places in India and Burma that I go to are at times dangerous places. I remember it was early on as I was beginning to travel to these places, specifically a lot to India. And there had been just recently after I had taken my first trip, uh, a missionary and his two sons were martyred uh, not far from the area that I was traveling in. Marilyn asked if I would, just in case I did not come home, would I write a letter to my kids? And so I have a file in my, um, in my fireproof strong box that says, in case of my death. And in it, I wrote this letter to my children. So to my wonderful family, if you're reading this, then it seems as though I have in God's kind providence returned to my real home. I'm so sorry I'm not with you now to comfort you and to let you know it's going to be all right. Instead, I am the one you are grieving over. And that's okay. It's good to grieve, but only for a season. I really am in a better place, a place where we will all be together one day, rejoicing around the one who has made it all possible. Please do not blame God for my death, but trust him in his infinite wisdom. Our passing is inevitable for all of us, and his timing is always perfect. I love you all with all the love one can give in this life, and I will miss you until that day when we are together again. Love God. Love one another. And with all your passion, live for his glory. I can understand what Paul felt as he writes to his son in the faith. As he thinks about never seeing Timothy again. And because his time is short, Paul uses an economy of words to remind Timothy of what is most important, especially when life is difficult. 
Look at, look at verse 8 with me of chapter 2. This is what Paul leaves with Timothy. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Timothy had his struggles. 1 Timothy 5, we see that Timothy has physical struggles. And Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach, for the ailments that you have. And in 2 Timothy 1, we know that Timothy struggles with fear. And Paul says, you know, you do not have a spirit of fear, but one of love and power and a sound mind. And in 2 Timothy, we see that as well. He can lack confidence when he's around older men. And Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy, Timothy, you know what? The Christian life is not an easy one. I am suffering. I have suffered. My suffering is an example of, of what life it will be as a believer. But as we read in, earlier in, in, Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, listen, live life as a soldier who only has a single focus. Run the race as an athlete, enduring Work as a hardworking farmer, being diligent. Timothy, you will suffer. That's what it means to follow Christ. But don't lose sight of Jesus. And from those metaphors that he uses about the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, he, he dives right into remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, this is what I most desire to leave with you. Remembering Jesus Christ. Now Paul's words are extraordinary. They are to me. And I'm thinking they would be extraordinary to Timothy. Timothy must be thinking, why would he tell me this? We read earlier in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, that, that he knew the Scriptures from infancy. That his mom and his grandmother raised him to know the Savior. How could Paul tell Timothy to remember Jesus? How could he forget? Why, why would he forget? How could he forget the resurrection? How could he forget the incarnation, which Paul references here? Why, why would Timothy forget those things? But I think Paul is aware that we all have a tendency to forget. I, I certainly do. Forgetfulness is a weakness that, that we all struggle with at times. I, I can't tell you how many times I have been introduced to somebody, shake their hand, and then I'm standing there thinking, what is their name? And, and, and then I'm going to pray for them, and I don't remember their name. So I just, dear brother, or dear sister. And I think we've all been in that position. And so we're trying to find a way in a conversation to get them to say their name again. <laughs> Rather than just saying, you know what, please forgive me, I have forgotten your name. Or how many times has Marilyn sent me to the store saying, can you get these few items for me? And I say, sure. And she goes, are you going to take a list? No, no, I'm fine. And I get there and I stand in the middle of the store saying, okay, it's only two things. What did she say to get? 
And then I end up walking every aisle looking. Was that it? Was that it? And we, we do, and, and we, we have a tendency to forget things as, as life goes on, as, as we get older, as, as time passes. I, I remember it was, it was 49 years ago, almost 50 years ago. I was 10 years old, and it was the most infamous day in my life with my dad. Um, it was May 22nd, 1965. And I was a Cub Scout, and my younger brother was a Cub Scout, and we, we, we went to the University of Maryland for what was called a Cub Scout Jamboree. 22,000 Cub Scouts, plus parents and family there for this big deal. So imagine 22,000 Cub Scouts running all over, and we got there, and it's just packed, and I had won this prize, and it was in another building, and we were standing on the steps of Cole Fieldhouse, and my dad said, look, go get your prize and meet me here. Sure, Dad, no problem. So I went, got my prize, came back, and somehow my dad got lost. (laughs) At least that was my perspective. Four and a half hours later, my dad and I finally connected. I do remember one thing clearly on the ride home. Words about giving up for adoption. Now, if you ask my family, that was a major moment. But, but today, if they describe it, there were 50,000 Cub Scouts there. And I was lost for at least two days. And just the memory fades. And Paul is aware of this forgetfulness that we have. And so he uses the word remember. Now, the word remember here in the Greek is to keep remembering. It's an active verb. Paul is telling Timothy, keep remembering Jesus Christ. Keep remembering that you are alive today because of your relationship with Christ. Keep remembering because the resurrection was the capstone of God accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins. Your sins are atoned for. Your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed, Timothy, because of what Jesus has done for you. Remember Jesus Christ. That's the, this is the heart of Easter. This is the heart of the gospel that we believe in. It's what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 1. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. Paul commands Timothy to remember the gospel above all else. To remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David. That's what sim- simply stating Timothy is, is being told, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Tell yourself who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Remember Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. What, what is the gospel? I mean, it's the good news for us. Is it not? Is it not good news? Do we not celebrate good news? The good news is that, that Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death paid the way for us to be reconciled to God. Is that not good news? Is it not good news that he died for our sins? Is it not good news that he did for us what we can never do for ourselves? Is it not good news that there is hope for all who trust in Christ for their salvation? 
That's the good news. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. It's what Paul is imploring Timothy to remind himself of every day. Living Easter is the title of this message. Living Easter every day. Living Easter every day is about remembering Jesus Christ. This is the only remedy that will help us live for Christ in a world filled with hardship. Remembering Jesus Christ is living Easter every day. Two points this morning. The divine, number one, and the human, number two. The divine risen from the dead. What does it mean that Jesus has risen from the dead? It means God in the person of Christ has conquered sin and death. That's what it means. Because Jesus is alive, I'm alive spiritually. I'm no longer dead in sin, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Now, there isn't a day that goes by where I'm not faced with the reality that I live in a broken world. And I live in a broken body. The trials and the heartaches I regularly face, just as you do, at times can feel overwhelming. It's why life at times can seem so hopeless to so many. They only have tomorrow to look forward to. But Jesus has given us something more, something much, much more. And when I endeavor to remember that he has risen from the dead, as Paul implores here, that he is alive, I'm once again reminded of his great love for me, his great love for you, his sustaining grace offered to us, a future promised to us because he is alive. We don't worship an historical figure. We worship the living Savior. He is alive. He is present. He is present in you. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is present in the life of this church. Jesus rising from the dead means that I now have hope in this life and in death. It means I'm prepared for for physical death. Maybe a bit afraid of the unknown. I remember on my second trip to to India, we did an all-night trip by train from one part of India to the other, left at 6 in the evening, arrived at 6 in the morning, ministered all day in this village, got in a car and drove from five that evening till five the next morning back to the ministry center. And it was an exhausting day. And so we're, there were myself and three other pastors were riding in an old, what's called a sumo. It's an old Jeep. And we're, we're driving. And if you've ever, I can't describe India's driving other than to say it is organized chaos. It's a symphony of cars where the rules of the road do not exist. A two-lane road means you can put cars five across, and the biggest car wins on whatever direction. So you move out of the way of the biggest car. And so it's, you're just all night long, and, and 
horns in India. You live on the horn. So the horn's honking all the time. And we had a, we had a driver who was a young man who was a ministry uh, from the ministry that we were working with. His name was Bhaskar. And we called him Bhaskar the NASCAR guy because he drove like he was driving for NASCAR. And he was, he was driving the, the whole trip. And so we, we started out at five in the evening and about one o'clock in the morning, I would sit in the front seat because I do get car sick and that's the best place for me to sit. There are no seat belts in India. And I'm sitting there and finally I just, you know, I just fall asleep. And the next thing I wake up and we had run off the road down an embankment towards a car that was down there. And, and I woke up at that moment and all the guys in the back are just screaming, you know, and I'm, you know, it's just, and we didn't, by the grace of God, we, we didn't hit the car, and, and I survived. <laughs> I'm alive. And, and so I, I remember at that moment just thinking, as I was falling asleep, oh, well, I wrote the letter to the kids. <laughs> I'm in a good place. Yeah, you know, it's, it's India. Rather die than get hurt. <laughs> Don't want to go to an Indian hospital. <laughs> but I remember the peace I experienced that dying was okay. Now, dying should be okay for all of us who've come to faith in Christ. There isn't a moment where you should not be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and think, you know, if I don't wake up, that's really good. Because I'm not going to care. It's those around me who, who might care, hopefully. That's my plan. I want some tears. But just a few. I've told them, look, just have fun. Scatter my ashes at Augusta National where they play a very special golf tournament. Put my ashes there. Um, we should be able to die well. And that's what, that's what Paul is imploring Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the divine, that God rose from the dead, and so will you. That eternity is held out for you in a way that is glorious. It means that I have freedom from eternal death. Revelation 1 says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus rising from the dead means there is no accusation or condemnation that will ever change God's kind disposition towards me or towards you. Jesus risen from the dead promises me an eternity of no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more relational conflict. No more fear. No more sin. 
You know, I, scripture does a wonderful job of not describing heaven in a way that we can get our arms around it. You ever think about that? There's not much in the way. So many authors write, and, and I love Randy Alcorn's works because he does have a view of heaven that just inspires me. But, but it's speculation on Randy's part. I have no idea what heaven's going to be like. I've got my requests. <laughs> Golf. Chocolate. Being with Marilyn. The idea of no marriage in heaven just does not sit well with me. No dogs in heaven. Definitely no cats. <laughs> Nothing to clean up. <laughs> I'm happy. If you, want a, if you want my mansion, you can have it. I'm moving in with Marilyn. <laughs> That's, I, I just don't know what heaven's like, and neither do you, but, but it awaits us because he is risen from the dead. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul is just imploring us as believers to live Easter every day by remembering that he is risen from the dead. But Paul doesn't stop at remembering Jesus risen from the dead. Now, if he did, if he had stopped at the resurrection here, if he just said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead... It would be probably the number one Easter message preached over and over again. It's a great passage. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's Easter. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, remember also the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. He doesn't stop there because... The gospel is incomplete without remembering the incarnation. Without remembering Jesus' sinless life and atoning death on the cross. That he was fully divine, yes. And that's why he was able to rise from the dead. But he was also fully human. He was one of us. It's why Good Friday is as important as Resurrection Sunday. It's why we sing songs about the cross. It's why we celebrate communion in remembrance of proclaiming his death until he comes. Point two is it's the offspring of David. He's fully human. What does it mean to us that Jesus was the offspring of David, that he was fully human? Well, it does mean that he was human. It means that he understood our lives. He, he entered into our broken world. He became one of, one of us. It means that also as the offspring of David, he was the ultimate final king promised throughout the Old Testament prophecies. And as well, as we read in the New Testament, as, as David's offspring, he understands our world and he understands our, our human suffering 
because he suffered like us. He knows what it is to feel pain. On the cross, he experienced unimaginable physical pain. And even more so, he experienced God's forsaking him. And our punishment that he could atone for our sins. But he experienced that as a man, as a fully human man, as the offspring of David. He wasn't just risen from the dead, the divine God. He was offspring of David. He suffered. He knew what it was to shed tears. He knew what it was to bleed. He knew what it was to agonize. He knew what it was to feel betrayed. He knew what it was to be ridiculed and mocked. He knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be forsaken. Out of love for us, Jesus left heaven and he entered into our broken and sin-scarred world. And he identifies with mankind. Hebrews tells us that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us because he was tempted in every way, Scripture says. There isn't a temptation that you face. Now think about this. Even as bad as the worst temptation you face, oftentimes we give in to that temptation. And it ends the temptation. He never gave in. Which means that the temptation only got worse. And yet he overcame. He understands when we're tempted. He understands when we feel condemned. He understands. He identifies with us. Kevin DeYoung talked about, he talks about the love of God. He says that there was never any love like the dying love of Jesus. It is tender and sweet. It serves. It loves even unto death. Jesus had nothing to gain from us by loving us. There was nothing in us to draw us to him. But he loved us still while we were yet sinners. At the last supper in the garden at his betrayal, facing the Jewish leaders before Pontius Pilate, being scourged, carrying his cross, being nailed to the wood, breathing his dying breath, forsaken by God, he loved us. Out of love for us, Jesus left heaven. And entered our world out of love for us as holy God and perfect man. He willingly died to save us from the punishment we deserve. As David's offspring, not only does he identify with us, but he's also the ultimate king. He's in the line of David, King David. And it was prophesied that there would be a final king. In Luke 1, 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is on that throne. That's where he is. He is the ultimate king. 
He's also the ultimate shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd, caring for his flock. Isaiah writes, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. In John, Jesus speaks and says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He came as a shepherd. He came as a shepherd and wept over people. He came to carry the burdens that we have. He was a man. He was the offspring of David. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all these things. All these things. So what do we do with this? How do we respond to Paul imploring Timothy and really imploring us? Because this is written to us as well. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. That's Paul's gospel. Remembering Jesus John MacArthur writes this. He said, Paul is not speaking of remembering the resurrection, important as that is, but rather of remembering Jesus Christ, who is alive because of the resurrection, having been raised from the dead. I love what he says here. He says, we do not serve a past event or merely an historical person. Jesus did indeed live a human life and die a human death, but we worship and serve him because he is no longer dead but alive. We remember and worship and serve the living Christ. Easter is meant to be an everyday reality for us. I love celebrating it once a year. I do. I love, I love Easter. I love, we sing songs about the resurrection. We have, we have dinner together afterwards. We talk about our lives together as Christians. We celebrate this day that he is alive. And I do love the chocolate that comes with Easter. And it goes on sale tomorrow. <laughs> but Easter is not about bunnies. And it's not about eggs. And it's not about chocolate. It's about remembering a person. Not an event, but a person. That's what Paul's after here. He's remember the person of Jesus Christ. Is remembering Jesus Christ an everyday reality for you? Because simply, it means, are you preaching the gospel to yourself? That's That's what Paul's identifying here. Tell yourself about Christ every day. That's Easter. It's meant to be an everyday reality for us. It means obeying Paul's command to keep remembering. You know, the consequences of not doing so can lead us 
to a very sad place. One of the epitaph over Israel. In Psalm 106.13, and you read this throughout the Psalms, it says of Israel, they soon forgot his works. Time and time again, Israel forgot the works of God. They complained at the Red Sea. They complained about manna. They complained about going into the promised land, fearing that God would not be with them. All that God had done, and they soon forgot. And so Paul tells Timothy and us, keep remembering. Keep remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, those facts, offspring of David, those facts. But remember the person. Let's endeavor not to be like Israel. Let's remember the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's exhortation to Timothy and us is more than remembering facts about an event. Because, listen, truths about Jesus rising from the dead and being alive are not enough to sustain us. What sustains us is the person of Jesus Christ. It's the relationship we have with the Savior individually. That's what sustains us. The resurrection, the offspring of David, that reminds us of who he is. But what sustains us is knowing the person. That's why Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 